where someone had called home for years. I stood and watched as the sun set behind the barn. I could smell the blood drying on the hardwood floor behind me. The blood I could smell wasn't really there. The bodies I could see weren't really there either. I knew I was having another vision. This wasn't the first time I had seen this young family torn apart in my mind's eye. Though it was the first time I could smell the blood. I could see the blood. I could see the bodies as it drained from them into the cracks of the hardwood floor. No one should have to see what I was seeing. No one should have to die the way I knew this young family was going to die. It wasn't like I could always see death, the death of others. Long before I came to this, I remember my mother crying at a doctor's office. My father looked at me and smiled. I could see the unshed tears in his eyes. Still, my father smiled. And that day, I was diagnosed with a tumor, a brain tumor. It was very deep, the doctor said. It would be impossible to operate. It was inoperable. I was let out of the doctor's office by a nurse, and my father asked what could be done to help me. I sat scared in the waiting room as a doctor told my mother and father to enjoy what little time I had left. He told them when I started to go downhill, it would be fast. And he said that I wouldn't suffer much. I remember walking out of the doctor's office, getting in the car. I remember the ride home that day. I remember the blue pickup truck as it ran the red light and hit my parents' car. I don't remember anything from the accident. My next memory is waking in the hospital. I remember hearing people saying what a shame it was that I had a tumor, such a, such a little boy. On that day, we had found out my young life was going to be cut short. Some drunk had run a red light and hit my mother and father. I don't know how I knew. I just knew both my mother and father had been killed in the crash. Lying in the hospital, I remember my grandmother running down the hall. I could hear her crying as the doctor told her. My mother, her daughter, and only child had not survived the crash. Something had happened in the crash. I was destined to die young. When the drunk driver hit my father's car, I was thrown across the back seat of the large station wagon and my head hit the heavy door trip. Next thing I remember, I was waking in the hospital as the nurse spoke with my parents. I felt bad for my grandparents. On the day they'd lost their daughter, they also found out their grandson was dying. My grandfather was a retired army colonel. As the doctor explained what to expect as the tumor grew, he, stuck stoi he stood stoically and held my grandmother as she wept for her daughter and grieved for me, her dying grandson. Chapter 2 The day I left the hospital, it was an odd day. The doctors ran a final batch of tests, though by the time I was able to go home with my grandparents, they say I should have been showing some signs of the tumor. The fact I was normal, as they say, shocked them. So I had to suffer their poking and prodding, their needles, x-rays, and hours of consultations. When finally I had enough and pitched a fit, my grandfather stood, walked over, put his hand on my shoulder, and told the doctor, we are done here. Well, sir, we have more tests we want to run, the doctor answered. My grandfather looked at the doctor. My grandson and wife have had enough of your guesswork. If you can't find out what's going on with my grandson by now, then you have failed. 
when my grandfather speaking, he held the door open for my grandmother and I, and we left that day. I never saw those doctors again, though twice a year I had to go to another set of doctors, and they would ask me some questions, and I'd have an MRI. As I got older, the doctor would let me sit in the office. Well, one day, he looked at me. Well, like the rest of the time, the tumor is still there. It's still dormant, my doctor said. Is there any chance of getting it out, I asked once. Mike, the doctor said, if we were to operate, you would be left on life support for what it was a very short life. The tumor is located at the junction of three parts of your brain. It links the cerebral cortex, the parietal lobe, and the occipital lobe. The thing I'm concerned is, is how it's linked itself to the pineal gland. Some call that the, the center of the human spirit, soul. So if we were to try to remove your tumor, we would be damaging way too much of your brain. I looked at my grandparents and smiled, shrugged my shoulders. Well, I said, I feel good. I'm getting good grades at school and I have a great life. I think I'll just live with it. As I finished, my grandmother stood up and hugged me. That night is when I had my first nightmare. I was 15 years old and woke up screaming, covered in sweat. I will never forget the nightmare. I stood in the corner of a living room in a house I was never in before. A woman and man sat in matching armchairs watching a game show on a television. Upstairs, a young boy slept in his bed. A nightlight in the room gave off a warm glow. And from my point of view, it seemed I turned and watched a glove hand push open the hallway window. I watched helpless to call out a warning or even to move. I was forced to watch as a figure dressed in black moved down the stairs of the house. He stood watching the couple. Then as the game show ended, he moved. His first target was the husband. I watched as the killer used the blunt side of an axe to smash the husband's head in. As the wife and mother of the boy started to scream, the killer turned the axe on her. The blade side of the axe caught the mother just under the nose, decapitating the woman mid-face. I watched as blood fountained across the living room, pooled, ran as the floor lay uneven. I was forced to watch as the killer laid both his victims on the floor. He placed them so there they held hands. Then I watched as he went upstairs to get the little boy. Fearing the boy would die like his parents, I tried to look away before some force held me, and I was made to watch as a killer reached the child and simply broke the boy's neck. Shocked, stunned, and crying. It was the sound of the boys dying. I came screaming out of my bed. Before I realized that I was standing in the middle of my room, sweat rolling off my face and chest. My grandfather rushed in to find me, shaking, drenched, and babbling about a family I had seen killed. My grandparents loved me. They worried about me and the tumor. They worried this nightmare might be the tumor starting to grow again. When questioned, I looked at them and said, no, I don't think it's the tumor. I mean, I feel fine, no headaches, no vomiting, nothing like that. It was the dream. It was so real. I could even smell the aftershave the killer had on. It was a real cheap smelling stuff. Remember your sergeant used to wear it, Granddad? Yeah, he said that was pretty strong stuff. But son, it was just a dream. Try and get back to sleep. And if you have another, I'll call the doctor and we'll have to do some tests just to be sure. 
As my grandfather stood to leave, my grandmother came in with a warm glass of milk. Here, drink this and try to get some sleep. I took the glass. I still remember the smell of the warm milk and the smile my grandmother would give me when she was worried. Unfortunately, I'd seen that smile so many times as I grew up. I never realized how much of a burden my tumor was for her and my grandfather. I didn't have another nightmare for about two weeks. And then on a Saturday night, I had the same one. Like the first time, I came screaming out of my nightmare. Unlike the first time, the killer turned and looked right at me. It was like the killer could see me as well as I could see him. That's it, Mike. You're going to see the damn doctor, my grandfather ordered. My grandmother ordered, yes, ma'am, was all I could think to return. Sitting in the doctor's office, I came to know so well. I listened as my grandmother told the doctor of my nightmares. Well, they could be brought on by really any number of things. It could be video games. My grandmother answered, oh, no, he's only allowed race car games. I'll not have heedless violence for fun under my roof. Doctor smiled. Well, is there any stress at school, like bullies or, or girls? You do realize Michael is a bit past the age of puberty, considering the tumor and where it is. I was expecting that he'd entered that stage of the boy's life a, a bit late. So, Mike, have you noticed any changes in your body? My doctor asked. Well, I think so. My voice is cracking. I told the doctor. Have you been trouble having trouble at school? Is there a special girl? Doctor Chris asked. No to both of those. Michael knows better than get mixed up with boys. And as for girls, there's the Anderson girl. She's very well behaved and a pretty little thing. My grandmother answered. I could feel myself blushing, and I watched my doctor as he nods and looks at me and smiles. He stood up and excused himself for a moment and came back with an orderly and a wheelchair. Well, let's just get an MRI to be safe, and then we'll work up on your blood. My doctor knew I hated blood work, and he would often sit with me as a technician filled vial after vial from my arm. Like me, I knew my grandmother hated sitting at home waiting for the rest news of all the tests. But like so many times before, we would get the call from the doctor's office and he'd want to see us. So again, we would pile into the car for the two-hour drive to the doctor's office. And we waited for the doctor to finish with the folks ahead of me, and I would look around the office. I don't know why I would study the walls of this place. I already knew them by heart. And as we entered the office, how, the doctor, how was the drive up? He would ask as he held the door for my grandparents and I. My grandfather would answer, the drive was fine. It looks like rain over the hills. And my grandparents sat in the office chairs. I propped myself in the windowsill, the way I always did. Well, let's get into it, the doctor said. He opened the file. The tumor, well, the tumor has changed. The doctor started and my grandmother grasped. No, no. It has changed, not grown. There are tendrils. These tendrils have made their way deep into the limbic and pineal gland regions of the brain. I stood when the doctor was telling my grandparents how the tumor had changed. Well, what does that mean for our grandson, my grandfather asked, concerned. Well, I can give you the standard medical answer filled with lots of fancy Latin words, but the simple truth is, we're just not sure. We know the tumor has actually gotten smaller, slightly. He said, I want your permission to send everything we have to a friend of mine. He's at the very top of this field when it comes to this kind of thing. And quite honestly, we're at a loss. 
My grandfather looked at me with a raised eyebrow and a slight smile. Well, Mike, what do you think? You want another sawbones poking around up there? He loved it. He knew he loved it when he called the doctor sawbones. Well, really, what's one more? I answered with a shrug of my shoulders. I watched as my doctor smiled, shaking his head. My grandmother snapped her purse shut and understood as a sign the visit was now over. We will have some lunch before we start home, and none of that disgusting burger place you two like. We are going to have a nice sit-down meal in a nice restaurant. When she finished, both my grandfather and I knew it was an order, and I burst out laughing when my grandfather came to attention and snapped a crisp loop. My grandmother looked at him and smiled as he held the door for her. Well, my grandfather found a good Texas steakhouse, and we sat enjoying the atmosphere. To me, it felt like my grandmother and grandfather lingered a bit too long over their desserts. And that evening on the drive home, I contented myself with reading road signs as we passed them. Then, I saw the sign. I couldn't forget that road sign. I almost leaped over the seat to read it a second time. Granddad, stop the car! I cried out in a panic. My grandfather hit the brakes and the car shuddered to a stop in the gravel shoulder. Before I could stop myself, I opened the door and was running back to the crossroads. Standing stare at the sign when my grandfather walked up to me and looked at the sign. Okay, son, what is it? What are you doing? He asked, his deep voice concerned. My nightmare, the nightmare. This is the road, the house, the family lives on this road. Well, it's not too late. Let's take a bit of a detour and see if we can find this house. When my grandfather had offered to drive up the road for a bit, I almost cried with relief. My grandmother wasn't happy about this detour. She also knew it was something I needed to put to help put the nightmare behind me. I sat, I watched, as a farm came into view. The equipment parked in neat rows, and then I saw the name on the mailbox. Here, here, this is the place. This is where my nightmare takes place, I said softly. Real fear squirming its way into me. I shook with the fear as my grandfather turned in the driveway of the farm. Without realizing that I was holding my grandmother's hand, his granddad stopped the car behind a pickup truck. I'll go see if anyone's home. Then he stepped out of the car. My grandmother and I watched as he walked up the three steps in the front porch and knocked on the door. I was waiting for a man or woman to open the door and then I would know my tumor was making me crazy. Instead, I'd watch my grandfather knock a second time. Then he stepped to the window and peeked in. My grandmother and I knew something was terribly wrong when my grandfather turned and yelled at us, stay in that fucking car. And then we watched and my grandfather kicked open the front door of the house of my nightmares. Seconds later, he returned and was running to the car. We gotta get the goddamn state police here was all he would say as he backed down the driveway. I watched as the house from my nightmare receded in the windshield as our car raced backwards toward the road. State police came with lights and sirens wailing when my grandfather called them. He explained about finding the bodies of the family in their home and the captain of the state police was ex-military. He knew my grandfather was a retired colonel so that he knew my grandfather was on the up and up. Then two men showed up in a plain car. They wore suits and spoke to the captain for a minute. Then they went in the house. Moments later, they came out and nodded. Sitting in the car, the two men came to in the plain car. Didn't pay me much attention. They looked at the captain and said, yeah, it's the same killer. 
he crossed the state line. That makes him our problem, Captain. One of the men said as he shook his head. I hate to think we got that kind of sick bastard in our state, but I'm happy you have to deal with him. The bigger of the two FBI agents said to the state trooper, Now, how did the colonel and his family find them? Well, that's the odd part, he said. The colonel told me his grandson had had a nightmare about this friend. They were coming to show him it was just a dream and nothing to it. The captain told the agent, Well, that's pretty understanding for an old school hard ass of the colonel. Yeah, he said, poor lad, young fella's got a brain tumor. They were on their way home after seeing the kids' neurologist. As they drove by, the boy saw the road sign and damn near jumped from the car while it was moving. So the colonel decides to humor him and, well, shit, here we are. I'd like to speak to the boy, one of the agents said. Well, for that, you're going to have to speak to the colonel's wife, the boy's grandmother. The FBI agent looked at the captain, his grandmother. Where's his mother and father? Well, this'll get you in the, in the feelings. The day the parents found out the little fella had a brain tumor and was destined to die, the doctors gave the boy six months to live and that was it. They left the doctor's office and a drunk ran a red light hitting the car and killed the boy's mom and dad. Well, they say something happened in the accident, the tumor changed, that was nine years ago. Now, the poor boy gets these terrible, terrible nightmares, the captain explained. I was getting tired of hearing them refer to me as the boy. So, I opened the car door and stepped out. As I stepped out of the car, the FBI agent stepped back. I was 15 years old and six foot four inches tall in my bare feet. And like most 15-year-olds, when I met an FBI agent, I grinned like an idiot. Hello, I'm Mike, the boy with the tumor. I introduced myself. Uh, hi, Mike. I'm Agent Boyles. Uh, sorry, we didn't know you were in there, the bigger agent said as he shook my hand. The other agent introduced himself as Agent Krish. Let's go find your grandmother. We'd like to speak to you, but we need her permission, okay? Agent Grish said he's led me to where my grandparents stood. Once the FBI agents introduced themselves, they asked if they come by the house and interview me. My grandmother looked at the two of them, smiled, said, that will be fine, gentlemen. I shall have coffee ready. My grandmother said as she escorted me back to the car. The agents looked at my grandfather and said, uh, sir, that sounds like we're the ones that's going to be answering some questions. Agent Boyle said to my grandfather, oh, agent. You so will be, and you better have the right answers, my grandfather said, and then followed my grandmother and I.